0: Last week, uh, there was uh, the week for Camp Hillview over at uh, the, the, camp, uh, the Hillview campground, and uh, I was uh, blessed and privileged to be a part of that, uh, that part. Many of you were as well. Uh, I was asked to teach the teens, the senior class, and uh, I was given the, uh, the theme of the camp was crazy. Uh, was crazy. Um, and the uh, point being that God's people do crazy things. And uh, they used the illustrations of Noah building an ark, though it never rained before. Of David fighting a giant, though he was young in years and never dealt with that. He fought a giant over nine feet tall. Killed in graveyard dead, David did. Crazy. Daniel went into the lion's den because they said uh, they didn't want to pray anymore to God. They said, I'm not going to worship another God. Crazy. Lions never heard him. God closed their mouth. Three young men uh, were going to put in a fiery furnace, and were, because they wouldn't dance to the world's music. They were not going to be like everybody else, and they were crazy enough to say, "I don't know if God uh, will help us or not, but I know He can." They weren't burned. The only thing they were burned was burned were their ropes that bound them. Jesus was there with them. I got to thinking about that in my presentation, and. I come up with an acronym for the word crazy that I seem to use as a, as a teaching point through that session, but it just kept running out, running over, and I wanted to share it with the congregation. But I think it's such a, such a manifold, important subject. I've entitled the theme I'd like to try to embrace, and I want you to pray for me and pray for each other as we get, deal with this. Because crazy is not easy, but it's necessary. I've entitled the theme, You Must Be Crazy. And you must be. The crazy I'm talking about is you're in love with something so much that you do anything for it. Crazy things. There's a man that Jesus told about in a parable that found a treasure in a field. He did something really crazy. He went home and sold everything he had and bought that field. Crazy. Amazing. I've got to tell you something. You've got to be careful what you love. Because it'll make you crazy. You know, we hear in the world section, you know, we hear about guys being girl crazy. Girls being boy Crazy. Men being golf crazy or fishing crazy or hunting crazy or women shopping crazy or fashion crazy. See, what you you craze is what what your affections are about. And really, greater than all is God's crazy love to us. How crazy is it that God would send a perfect Son, the only begotten Son, into human flesh to die on a cross for us. How crazy is it for us to come in the door of this church and multiply things you've been doing today to sit down and endeavor to worship a God that you've never seen physically. Crazy. I'm going to tell you, grace will make you crazy. And if we're not crazy for the God, we better know that we're going to be crazy in this world. So I pray that God would help us. The acronym I dealt with is five letters, of course, and the C stands for conviction. I'm going to talk about that today. The R is responsibility, as you see on your bulletin. The A is assurance, the Z is zeal, and the Y is yielded. And I believe we can see this in those episodes in scripture where people simply did things way out of the way and ordinary. People will laugh at you because you're a Christian. They will belittle you. The problem we have as believers is we've tried to mesh into the world so much because we don't want to be thought of as being different, but it can't be. If you're going to follow Jesus... How crazy is it that you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him? But that's what God says do. How crazy is it that Jesus go along and He sees a man fishing and calls said, "Put down your nets and come and follow Me." <laughs> they did it. Or a man selling doing taxes, come I and follow Me. And they did. How crazy is it that God says, if you believe in me and trust me as your Savior, you are saved? You don't have to do nothing. It's amazing. Grace is so amazing. It's crazy. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and proof and correction, and instruction and in righteousness. That the man of God may throughly, be truly furnished in all good works. That means all this Bible is wholly inspired. And so I want you to turn with me to Psalm Division 32. Because I want you to know this. This psalm is written by an expert on conviction. His name is King David, and I trust that his name could also be replaced with me and you. And I want you to stand, please. I'm going to read five verses for Psalm Division 32 from this holy word of God. Please stand with me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Just think of that. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Think of that. Please be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first thing I want to try to say is that conviction, what is conviction? Conviction is a personal feeling that you have, that you have offended a holy God. You have transgressed against God. It gives the feeling of guilt. The world today does not like that term guilt. What I'm about to tell you today, the devil does not like me to say. I know this for sure because I have been under such spiritual warfare this week. The devil has tried to impress upon me the situations of life, has brought up all lust of the flesh, have made me think of things, imagine things. I'm going to tell you guys, the devil is real. And when you start talking about conviction, you start talking about something that the devil cannot stand. I hope today that the Holy Spirit will enable us to be convicted, to be guilty. Guilty is good. The psychological culture we're in today will say that what I'm about to say about sin is a hate speech, and I know that it is a hate speech because if you don't hate sin you don't love God and I'm going to tell you I've been in situations I'm not up here trying to tell you how to live because I don't know if I know either but I know one thing sin will kill you have you thought about when you die are you going to heaven or hell have you thought about it because I can tell you for sure, according to this Bible, we're going to one place or the other, and we'll live there forever. I know for sure what sin will do. I know the benefits of being convicted and the shallowness and the cowardness of running from conviction and trying to sweep our sins under the rug. The ones that Jesus died for. I've got a daughter right now that is homeless. Not because of drugs, not because of a place, not a place to go, but because of sin. I've got a brother over in the Bullock County Jail. No, I want to tell you about sin. That's what I'm talking about. I don't want your pity. I don't. I'm I'm 70 years old and I still carry the scars of divorce. Divorce is sin. God hates it. Your choices in life have bearing consequences. We think about revival. You know the reason God doesn't send a revival? Because we're not convicted of our sin. See, the world says it's not really sin. You just come from a dysfunctional family. No, I come from a sinful family. You hear me? Are you just codependent? No, I'm a drunkard. The the therapy of the world today is you stand up there and say, well, I'm an addict. I mean, that's my identity. Our culture doesn't want you to get out of it. There's too much money in it. There's more drugs to get people off of drugs that people get hooked on that they can't get off of. All because we're not coming to the understanding that the basics of it is sin. Disobedience to God. (laughs) Not only sins of omission of not doing what God said do, or sins of commission of doing things God said not do. And we still all deal with this. I told you about the couple I was doing marriage counsel a while back. I don't know. Haven't seen them since. I hope they're still married. So one of the questions I have to ask a couple is, are you living together? Most people in the world today, even in the church, say that's okay, as long as you love them. That's not what God says. So when I asked this particular couple that, the the girl said, well, you tell me, what's going to make it better when we're married? I said, you won't have the guilt. She looks surprised. She says, oh, I never thought of that. One of the reasons we know that we're living under the judgment of God today, and it's spelled out in Romans 1, we have a seared conscience. God has given us up to a reprobate mind. We don't have any feelings about it. We do it enough, we have grieved the Holy Spirit so much that He withdraws His presence, and we live in like it's okay. And not only that, church, church people's not immune from that either. God says, "Forsake not the assembling of yourselves," as a man of some is. We consider that to be well. You know, I'll just go to church today. I, feel good about it. If it don't interfere with the ball games or some meeting I got to go and don't ask me to go to Sunday night. <laughs> I've already been preaching in the morning. But God says forsake not the assembling of, the, of yourselves as a matter of some is. Now, what the church ought to do, if you don't want to come on Sunday night, you just need to get the church to say, let's don't have Sunday night services. Take a lot of sin out your life. I'm talking about when you can come. A lot of people can't. Those are the people who want to be here. Now, I'm not talking about working your way to heaven. (laughs) You have none. I have none. What I'm dealing with or wanting to is getting to the conviction of how do we deal with the burden of sin. Because there's things going on in our life that we don't understand. God is not answering our prayers. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. The providence of God has turned against you in your life. Everything is just breaking apart. And sin is not always the case. We see that from Job, but a lot of times it is. So here, I want to deal with conviction, and I want to start on the good side of it. First point I want to make is forgiveness is a blessing. See, I've heard of some, I had some bumps in my life. My mama struggled with alcoholism. She died in a house fire. I grew up a lot of hell raising. I'm thankful for Godly homes like I know you are. You parents do not teach your children how to sin. A lot of parents now teaching their children how to sin and they don't really understand what they're doing. Because here's the deal. This is what's so important to parenting. Children will love what you love. You make sports your greatest love, you go crazy over that, they're going to do it too. Now, I'm not necessarily saying things I want to say today. But I'm not supposed to be a preacher that says what I want to say. Because I'm going to tell you, a preacher can't preach conviction unless he's experienced it. (laughs) I have been in my backyard laying flat on my face. I have had some midnight moments. But here's the deal. If you don't have guilt, you won't have conviction. If you don't have conviction, you won't have repentance. And if you don't have repentance, you won't have salvation. Forgiveness is a blessing. I held a little two-year-old son in my arms. Felt his body grow cold. Hey, I'm not not asking you to have pity again. I, I tell you what, I don't know how I could be any happier. I don't. It's crazy. I mean, you'd think somebody like me would be the most depressed man in the world. But man, I get up every morning for daylight and I open that screen board when I could get on that screen porch and I hear the birds and I say, God, thank you so much for giving me one more day to read your word, to learn about you, to say something that would, that would cause people to love you. God has given me a wonderful, beautiful, virtuous, prudent wife. And a wonderful family. And health enough to get up and and walk and talk and go to the bathroom and and do things and and enjoy things. Even with arthritis. I think it's what David says. Notice what he says. First I say forgiveness is a blessing. If you have forgiveness and you understand where it comes from and what it means to you, you can deal with the life. You might not get everything like you want it to work out, but I'm going to tell you, if you realize what God has forgiven you of and and what you deserve, and you can go on. David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That's happy. Whose sin is covered. And that's a great blessing. Forgiveness is a big deal. Don't you ever belittle forgiveness. Thank God every day for it. Thank God enough for it to forgive others. How many times? As many times as they need forgiving. Blessed is the man in verse 2, unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no God. God takes every sin out of our life, past, present, past, and future, and he puts his righteousness in there. Crazy. You ask me why I preach, coming from such sin? <laughs> Day why? It's not because I got so much to know. I don't preach because I want to. I preach because I got to. I remember reading about John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. I mean, that's another one. He knew about conviction. He knew about forgiveness. And when God forgave him and he wrote Amazing Grace, he kept preaching the word. He was a preacher of the gospel. So long that he had to be held up in the pulpit, I read. And he said, well, why do you preach like this for so long? He said, because I'm a great sinner. And I have a great Savior. So how do you bear the burdens of life? People that have gone off that you love and things happen in your life that just don't work out. You do it because God has forgiven you. And with that comes a spirit that has no guile, no bitterness. And you realize that God wounds you to make you well. God will hurt you, but he'll never harm you. See, I said this, that you be careful what you love. But the whole big picture is this. When you look at how God loves us, he loves us with a unending love. Everlasting love, a loving kindness drawing love. And because God loves us, He will not leave us in sin. You hear me? Because He's holy, He will cause us to be convicted, guilty. Also, we can be brought to the point that we can see his glory in salvation. So here's the deal as I see it. See, creation, God created everything, but that to me doesn't display his greatest power. The Bible says he created ever nothing. You know how God's greatest power is displayed? By his grace and his spirit, his Holy Spirit, that can change a man or a woman's mind their heart, and cause them to feel the pains of sin and guilt. And if you got there and you feel that, thank God. And if you can't feel anything, go to God and ask Him to break your heart. Ask Him to love you enough to make you guilty of your sin. Because if you don't, my friends, you won't get to the place you think you're going. There will be people who said, Lord, Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. They are people sitting in churches that have been baptized that are not saved. They're not. We need to look at our hearts and say, oh God, how I've missed the opportunities. And yet, he redeems the time every day. Every moment, he does. Secondly, sin is a burden. David said not only did it affect, I'm going to read these verses 3 and 4, his physical state, his, it affected his emotional state, his health, everything. Look, listen. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I asked Brother Todd how my brother was over there at the jail the other day. He's younger than me, 12 years. But Todd said, You know, he looks like he's 80. That's what sin will do. You can fool around with life if you want to, but I'm going to tell you, friends, what we've got to understand is we're going to have to do it God's way. You can't make excuses. We need to come to grips with honesty before God and come to him and say, oh God, I'm guilty and I don't want to try to cover this up with some kind of drink or some kind of pleasure. I want you, oh God, to deal with this. I've got to get some relief. You know, when when I was going to sit on midnight times in my life, if somebody had told me, I, I said, well, tell you what, Randy, you just take off your shoes and go barefooted and and run down here to Walmarts. And that would take care of it. I'd have done it. I mean, what the devil is saying, I'll tell you what you do. Now all this guilt you got, don't beat up on yourself. This is a little drug you can take. Or, Or here's some therapy you can do. Where the remedy though, of the, of the burden of sin is Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary. You go to Jesus. I was trying to help my daughter the other day. And so I was calling around and she found that about trying to find her some opportunities, places. She said, Daddy, she called me. She says, that is so embarrassing. Don't do that. I said, are you kidding me? You feel embarrassed? See, that's the mindset of the world. See, what we would replace sin with, with victimization. We don't have sinners anymore. We have victims. (laughs) Sin is a burden. And we'll do anything to get rid of it when God reveals it to us will die to live. That's crazy. That's what Jesus says. We're living in a society, though, even in our Christian life. You know, your righteousness according to the church in a lot of places, I mean, you're considered a good person based on whether you took the COVID shots or not. (laughs) Can you imagine? The rioters last summer, they weren't arrested. They were victims. Man, we, we tell people how to live for God. If I if I'm trying to tell people what God says, I'm a, I'm a white supremacist. <laughs> That's not. It's the kind of world we're living in. That's exactly the kind of world God described in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is the end times. Sin was a burden to David. And here's the remedy. My third point, and I'll try to be quick. Salvation is God's business. That's what God's in the business of, saving. When, when, when Jonah was convicted and he came come to understand that salvation is of the Lord, he did something crazy. He got back to Nineveh, which is a place that God had, had blessed this this. Wickedness. Salvation is God's been able to heal it, it took him three days to get away from it, it took him one day to get back. And he's preached salvation, repent, salvation of the Lord. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to make some fine sermon or make points or do a catechism. What we need to see, the craziness of John the Baptist coming in the wilderness. Eating that honey and and locusts. But his message was he was as a voice of one crying in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We're not as crazy. We're not crazy enough to say that. We, We don't want to offend anybody. God's watching all this. I don't know what we think we can do to get away from God. He knows our faults. But it's God's business. And only God can save us. And when he convicts us and makes us feel guilty, you thank God that he's convicted you of some sin in your life but then you confess it. 1 John says when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this business of confession is more than lip service, more than a one-time deal. It's a lifestyle. We have to live in a confession mode. We have to realize the deception and the wickedness of the human heart. But you know, nothing's impossible with God. It's not, nothing impossible. You know, I, I know with my children, and I've been a bigger sinner than any of my children, including my homeless daughter and my brother in jail. But, but I know my children, when, when I hear them, well, what I really want to hear my daughter say is, Daddy, I'm guilty. I'm ashamed. I want God to forgive me. See, we don't want to face that in our world today. Lots of parents don't want to face the dilemma their children in. They don't. They don't want anybody to know about it. But I'm going to tell you, sin is destroying America. It's destroying homes and families and churches. And we need to be convicted where it applies. And go to the right remedy. Don't try to skate around the reality. It's going to cause you to do something crazy. Read your Bible, maybe. (laughs) Can you imagine how crazy being baptized is? (laughs) Why would I do that? Because God said so. That's why. Why, why shouldn't I visit that? Why should I go to that person that has said that about me, talked against me? Because Jesus says you go to them. Well, why, why if I, I shouldn't have said this to that person and I don't feel like going to them, but Jesus says you do it. And when you understand that that salvation and that relief. From sin is the treasure that it's intended to be. You won't worry so much about what people think. You'll be more involved what God thinks. I'll just leave you with this. Either you can believe a lie or tell the truth. Either one. Let's pray together. Dear most precious Heavenly Father. We thank You, God, for Your grace and salvation. But we also thank You for Your grace in getting us there. Of Your convicting spirit. Whether that's through the gospel, through our conscience, through the law. But Lord, when You prick us in our heart, we will do something crazy. We will express our love to you without any cover-ups. We won't try to put on a show. We won't try to act like that our homes are just perfect. We won't get in our cars and drive home and just feel good because we've been to church today we will cry to you and we will appreciate your forgiveness for our sins and we will ask you to search our hearts and help us find whatever that is that's causing all the dilemma because sin Lord we know not only affects us it affects a lot of other people too but oh God thank you so much for coming To die for sinners like us. Help us to feel that. To embrace your love. And then, like David, we can say, Lord, even when his son died, that through that adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, you said it would be so. He didn't go into depression. He knew he was forgiven because you told him he was. Seems like, Lord, that's the hardest thing for us to believe. We can believe anything, but you forgive us. But, Lord, we know that nothing is too hard for you, not even forgiveness. And David was able to get up and eat and wash himself and believe in the resurrection and heaven when he said in 2 Samuel 12, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. Bless, O Lord, we all come from you and we're going to you. And all along the way, the sins and the commitments that we make, the convictions we feel, are shaping us and molding us to the holiness that you're not about to let up on.